dangerous is prejudice? While it might begin as an attitude, it all too often takes action, bringing pain and destruction to entire races. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah examines how one man's prejudice led to the first recorded attempt at eliminating the entire Jewish population. From his series on Esther, here's David to introduce the conclusion of his message, Haman's Conspiracy. You know, if you've ever studied the history of Israel, you know that uh, from the very beginning, uh, the nation has faced hostility from people who want to destroy her. Uh, People wonder, why is there so much hostility against Israel? First of all, it's from Israel that our Redeemer came, and it's through Israel that the promises of the future are uh, being fulfilled. And even today, uh, Israel is a marked nation. No nation has ever been mentioned on the watch list from the United Nations more than Israel. It's really amazing. The nation's no bigger than a postage stamp on the map, and yet it constantly is under fire. It began way back here in the Old Testament. As we study the book of Esther, we're learning about the conspiracy of a man named Haman to destroy all the Jewish people. And we'll get back to that in just a moment as we turn our Bibles open to the third chapter of Esther. Friends, we want you to know that uh, this information that we're teaching from the book of Esther is available to you on CD. It's also available in a study guide that coordinates all of the lessons. You can find out more about this by going to our website, which is davidjeremiah.org. And there you will see the study guide and the CD packages. And uh, you can order this material into your own home and have it available for your own personal study or to lead a Bible study that you may be hosting or maybe you're the facilitator of a study. Have you studied the book of Esther? I encourage you to do it. It's a wonderful study, and I hope you're picking up on that as we meet each day here on Turning Point. Don't forget, during the month of March, our resource is The Promise Code, a book by O.S. Hawkins that features 40 Bible promises every believer should claim in his historic, beautiful, padded cover gift book style. O.S. Hawkins has given us, once again, so much encouragement for our watch and our walk. If you haven't gotten this book yet, I hope you will ask for it today when you send your gift to Turning Point. Your gift is so important to us as we continue to preach the gospel and teach the Word of God. And when you send your gift, we'll send you the promise code is our way of saying thank you. And now, here is part two of Haman's Conspiracy. Xerxes had so little regard for life, it's just amazing to me. We talk about wicked Haman and how awful he was, but I'll tell you, this king to whom Esther is married, (laughs) boy, he's something else. I don't know if this is the whole story as we would want to read it, but let me tell you what's missing from the story that I find truly amazing. Xerxes did not even inquire about the people Haman wanted to exterminate. He didn't know who they were, and he obviously didn't know that one of those people was his own wife, Esther. For she was a Jewess. Without ever asking any questions, he probably saw $20 million and his eyes got so wide, he didn't ask who they were. He just said, get on with it and let me help you get the process started. You can't help but wonder what kind of frustration and pressure Esther must have felt even this early in her story and in the relationship with King Xerxes. Well, we've noticed the prejudice of Haman, which was played out into a plot to destroy the Jews. 
And now we are going to see that permission is granted for the extermination, verses 10 through 15. First of all, authority is given to Haman to act in behalf of the king. Notice verse 10. And the king took his ring from his hand, and he gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the Jew's enemy. Now in handing over his signet ring, Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, gave Haman power to act in the name of the king. In ancient times, only about as many people could write as can't write in our society today. Very few people could write and communicate. And so the way that they signified things to one another was through their signet ring, and it would have a special design in it. They would take that signet ring and place it in soft wax, and that mark was just like our signature. It was binding in every legal document. And what Xerxes did, he took off his signet ring, and he gave his ring to Haman, and he said, here is my ring now while you're making all these transactions and getting this process of exterminating the Jews done you will need to have my authority and here it is I give you my authority wherever you go if you need something just sign it with my ring and it will be just as if I had done it myself so here is this ruthless prejudiced racist Jew hating anti-semite who now has the authority of the royal decree in his hands he has everything he needs to go out and destroy the Jewish nation. Not only that, but he has the approval to steal. Not only the authority to act, he's given the approval to steal. Notice verse 11. And the king said unto Haman, The silver is given to thee, the people also, to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. In addition to the royal ring, we read that the silver was given to Haman. Now, the silver here cannot refer to the silver that Haman has promised to King Ahasuerus, for it had not yet been paid. He doesn't have that money. It is probably a reference to the silver of the people that he is going to exterminate. In other words, King Ahasuerus is saying to Haman, the people are yours and all their goods are yours. Do with them as you please. Just go out and get it done. And I won't ask any questions just as long as my 20 million comes in. Whatever you want to do with the rest of it, make sure that you disperse it and people get what they want and you can do as you please. Now, what we've got here is we've got a man who is filled with hatred and he has been given absolute authority by the most powerful person in his life. He's got the man's signet ring in his hands. He's given the motivation to keep anything he can get from the extermination of the Jews. I remember reading in one of the books on the Dutch Jews during the Holocaust how after the Jews were exterminated in the ovens, they would actually take them and melt the gold out of their teeth down so that they could keep whatever was valuable from the Jewish people. We understand completely that Jews have been very, very good business people. Sometimes this has been a part of the rap that has been placed on them, but say what you want. God gave to the Jewish people a great ability to do business, and there is no question about the fact that in the Persian Empire there were many, many wealthy Jews. So we have the prejudice of Haman and the plot to destroy the Jews and the permission for extermination. And finally, number four, we have the proclamation of the plan. Now notice what happens. First of all, the plan is documented, verse 12. We read in verse 12, Then were the king's scribes called on the thirteenth day of the first month, and there was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants, 
and to the governors that were over every province and to the rulers of every people of every province according to the writing thereof and to every people after their language. In the name of the king, Ahasuerus, was it written and sealed with the king's ring. Haman summoned the king's scribes and they wrote out the order in the language of each province. I don't know if you realize what a tremendous task this was. I did a little research here and discovered that there may have been as many as 127 different languages in the Persian Empire. These languages all had to have the translation of Haman's order in their own tongue. And so there was hundreds of hours of work involved in translating this decree so that all of the people throughout the Persian Empire could get it. And so Haman used this opportunity to whip up anti-Semitism throughout the empire. And as this whole process was boiling there in Shushan, the palace, you can imagine how the word began to spread concerning this diabolical act that was about to transpire in their land. From verse 13, we read something of the contents of the document. Notice what the document said. And the letters were sent by posts unto all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month Adar, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. Those who have studied this document in the language in which it was written have pointed out how carefully this fateful document was written. As you read these words, you are reminded of the wording of a modern legal document. The objectives are stated in every possible way so that there can be no way to escape on the part of anyone who might dare not to carry out the order. Notice how many different ways are used to describe extermination. Look at the verse again. It says, to destroy to kill, to cause to perish all Jews. Any doubts? You understand what they're saying? Well, how many of the Jews? All Jews. Well, what about the women? Both young and old, both little children and women. Well, how long do we have to do it? Do it all on one day. So carefully was this orchestrated that when it was put into writing in the language of the people, there could be no doubt on the part of anyone in the entire Persian Empire what was meant to happen to those Jewish people. And it was sealed and signed, and the king's name was at the bottom in his signet ring in the wax of every single paper that was described. The plan is not only documented, but notice now how carefully it is delivered. This decree to destroy the Jews goes out as the law of the Medes and Persians. Verse 13, here we read, And the letters were sent by posts unto all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, to cause, to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the thirteenth day of the twelfth month. And the copy of the writing for a commandment was to be given in every province, was published unto all people, that they should be ready against that day. The posts went out, being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan the palace. Scholars have told us that Haman used what was the well-known Persian postal system, available for government documents only throughout the empire. 
Herodotus, a secular historian, has written that nothing mortal travels as fast as these Persian messengers. Along the whole line of road there are men stationed with horses, allowing a man and a horse to each day, and these men will not be hindered from accomplishing at their best speed the distance which they have to go either by snow or rain or heat or by the darkness of night. It was an ancient Pony Express. It was the earliest Pony Express known to men, and it was fast. In fact, our post office adopted the words I have just read to you from Herodotus, the secular scholar, and they are carved in stone on the main post office in New York. Neither rain nor snow or heat or the darkness of night shall prevent the delivery of these letters. And a message could go from the farthest regions of the empire in two or three weeks. An ordinary traveler, for instance, if he were to travel in Persia, would require three months or more to cover the same distance which could be covered by the Persian Pony Express. And the edict was published to all the peoples so that they should be ready for the day. Haman wanted the order to go out fast so that nothing could be done to change it. He wanted maybe the Jews to hear about it so they would suffer anticipation. Maybe he thought some of them would just flee the country and leave all their goods and he wouldn't have to kill them. But the post went out and they were hastened. And the interesting thing is, as you read the last phrase of the 15th chapter, that Haman and King Ahasuerus went down to the local pub and had a cocktail. While all of the word now was spreading throughout the Persian Empire to kill the Jews. I love this book because I have to say to you something that I know will be interesting to you, that whatever else this passage teaches us, it reminds us again as the scenario is set up, and of course we know enough about the book to know what's going to happen. We're not ignorant of the outcome, even though we are excited about the details. God said something very interesting through his prophet Isaiah. It's a strange thing that he said over in chapter 54, verse 17. Let me just read it to you. He says this to the Jewish people. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. This prophecy in Isaiah is an interesting prophecy in light of the book of Esther because as the result of this, the people of Israel have been pallbearers at the funeral of every nation that has ever tried to persecute them. Isn't that true? A glance at history should bring sobering thoughts to any nation who might be so careless as to defy God in his pronouncements. What is the reason for this thing we call anti-Semitism? posed that question earlier. Maybe we can review it again for just a moment because we won't come back to it much after this chapter. In the providence of Almighty God, those who have been the custodians of His Word have been the people of this race we know as the Jews. This book, the Bible, has come to us through them. God chose them for that, and they transmitted the scriptures, as I mentioned to you early, with the possible exception of the book of Luke. And Satan hates them. 
He hates them because they have been the repository of the scriptures and because the Lord Jesus Christ after the flesh came from these people. Paul put it like this in one of his writings. He said, whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came? There is no way of escaping it. It is because of the supernatural hatred of them that we see anti-Semitism today and throughout history. And because of that, there is a supernatural and clearly designed program in the scripture for these folks. We know that God has chosen them as his people, as his nation. I read several months ago that there was a man who wrote the following words on a bulletin board where he worked. It is odd that God should choose the Jew. And a Jew came along and wrote underneath it, God chose, which shows that God knew his Jew. And a Christian came along and wrote underneath that, this Jew spoke true. God knew his Jew as king would bring to earth new birth. <laughs> kind of an evolutionary poem, if you will. But nonetheless, some truth that the king of the Jews is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. If you were Satan, wouldn't you hate those people? Every person who has ever hated the Jews, listen to me, and has been the personification of Jewish hatred, people like Adolf Hitler. When we look at those people, when we see them, what do we think? What do we say? Every single one of them has been confused as the Antichrist. Why? Who is the Antichrist? He is Satan's puppet. He is Satan incarnate. Every one of these people that have been focused in their hatred to the Jews, a man who in the intertestament period, a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes was the same way. Antiochus Epiphanes went into the Jewish temple and sacrificed a pig on their altar and then took the blood. Oh, I don't want to tell you the story. It was so awful. Antiochus Epiphanes has been mentioned in every book I've ever read as the potential antichrist in his day. There's a kind of subtle anti-Semitism that has developed in our day. It's even theological. Here's the way it goes. People deny all the promises made to the nation of Israel and they apply them to the church. And I had several people say to me recently, I like what you're talking about in terms of prophecy, but the problem is so much of it has to do with the Jews, and I don't believe God has any plan for the Jews nationally, that all of his promises to the Jews were fulfilled in the church, and I don't believe that. And I figured out a way reading this week to prove that. Nobody that I have ever talked to knows what to do with the curses that are placed on the Jews. They all like to assign the blessings of the Jews to the church, but when you ask them, what about the curses? Oh, we don't pay any attention to those. Well, you can't do that. The curses and the blessings alike belong to the Jewish nation. And God has not finished his program for the nation. In 1948, they were placed back in the land, and whether they stay there permanently before they are there permanently, I don't know. But I know that God is at work among his people. And in spite of what's going on nationally with the Jewish people, many of them individually are finding their Messiah, and we praise God for that. One of the things that's truly amazing to me, and I don't know if you ever realized this before, but the book of Esther is the background for a Jewish feast 
When you hear the Jews talk about their feast days, oftentimes they will talk about the Feast of Purim. Well, where did that come from? It comes from the word P-U-R, which I said is pronounced poor. The Feast of Purim comes right out of the third chapter of the book of Esther, and it's later defined over in the ninth chapter, and we'll get to it later. The Feast of Purim is a time when the Jews celebrate the fact that Haman was not able to pull off the annihilation of the Jewish race. And the book of Esther instructs the Jews to observe the Feast of Purim as days of feasting and joy and of sending portions one to another and gifts to the poor, Esther 9.22. One of these portions that they're to give is a special delicacy eaten by the Jews on the feast day of Purim. It is called, and I don't know if I can pronounce this correctly, but it's called Haman Tashin. Haman Tashin. It is a triangular piece of pastry filled with poppy seeds. And its name comes from two German words, Mon, poppy seed, and Tashin, pockets. But because of its association with the Feast of Purim, the original name, Montashin, became Hamantashin, recalling the enemy of the Jews in Persia. And there's a story I want to tell you as we close it. I don't know if it's true or not. It may be apocryphal, but it's a great story. It's a story about a Jew who attended one of Hitler's Munich rallies at the start of the Nazi coup. And while Hitler was ranting and raving and cursing the Jews, he got rather distracted and confused because there was a man in the front row who was laughing his sides off at the Fuhrer. And when the speech was over, Hitler's men went down and got this man and detained him, took him back in the back room and brought him face to face with Hitler, who asked him who he was. He said, I'm a Jew. That's who I am. And Hitler said, don't you believe I will carry out my threats and destroy all the Jews? This isn't a laughing matter, sir. And the man said, you're not the first ruler who tried to destroy us. Once Pharaoh wanted us slain, and now every year at Passover we eat matzahs. Later Haman tried to annihilate us, and now each year we eat the delicious hamantaschen. And I couldn't help laughing, Herr Hitler. While I listened to your ranting, I was wondering what delicacy we will eat and what holiday we will celebrate to the commemoration of your downfall. There's a Jew who knew the promises of God. There will be a Purim in the future. What happened to the enemies of the Jews in Shushan the palace will be the lot of all who hate them. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, said Isaiah, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment shalt thou condemn. This is God's promise. When we meet the next time, We'll see how this intricate plot unfolds and how God miraculously saves the Jewish people because of the strategic placement of Esther, who was in exactly the right place for such a time as this. Well, I told you, this book is filled with intrigue, and uh, we're not even halfway through yet, so be sure and join us every day because the plot thickens as we go forward. Tomorrow, um, the title of the message is, If I Perish, I Perish. Famous words of a famous woman in the Old Testament. We'll tell you all about it when we get together tomorrow and open our Bibles to the fourth chapter of Esther. Friends, our 
our schedule for the fall is set out before us, and I want to keep reminding you of it because I want to make sure everybody knows that we're coming to Boise, Idaho on the 20th of April to the Extra Mile Arena, and we'll be there with our whole team for a night of celebration and fellowship. Uh, I know that we've never been to this place before, and we're excited about coming. We now have many friends in Idaho because one of the young men from our church uh, who was on our staff went there to start a church, and that church has exploded under his leadership. And we're so excited to come there and be with the people of uh, his church and the people of that area. Ben Harris and his wife are wonderful representatives of the Lord and of Shadow Mountain and of Turning Point, and we're so excited to come to be with them where they minister. Then again, later on, we're going to Alaska. If you haven't already made your reservation, I hope you'll do it. The 15th to the 22nd of July, we'll be with James Brown and Tony Dungy from CBS Sports and a lot of other people that you'll want to be with as we share the beauty of Alaska. Most of all, be sure to come back tomorrow as we finish up the week together with the study of the Book of Esther. Today's message came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. To give us an update on how God is using this ministry, write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of the latest book from O.S. Hawkins, The Promise Code, 40 Bible Promises Every Believer Should Claim. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions, available in a variety of attractive cover options. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue Esther for such a time as this on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with Airship Genesis Legendary Bible Adventures from Turning Point. Tune in to our monthly audio adventures and join the Genesis Exploration Squad as they travel back in time to experience the stories of the Bible firsthand and discover life-changing lessons. Also available is the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, packed with the biblical content specifically written for kids from trusted Bible teacher Dr. David Jeremiah. You can also download our Airship Genesis mobile game on your favorite smart device and play as your favorite characters in this puzzle adventure game as the squad experiences the life of Jesus firsthand. Just go to your app store and type the keywords Airship Genesis. For more details or to order a copy of the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, visit our website at airshipgenesis.com Bible. That's airshipgenesis.com Bible. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. The American poet Robert Frost described a diplomat as a man who always remembers a woman's birthday 
but never remembers her age. Shouldn't we be honest about aging and growing old? Of course. But diplomacy is the art of living with understanding. Knowing that it's okay to focus on age when filling out an official document, but not necessarily when celebrating a birthday. I think that's what the Apostle Peter had in mind when he told husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way. Be gentle, be discerning, be sensitive, be as understanding to others as you would want them to be to you. Well, this is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's understanding nature on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.